So this is the, uh, this is technically our Christmas episode, our third one. Yeah. Wait, no. Man. Our second one. Oh, no, no our third, third one, one, technically, yeah, because we started, we started the podcast right around Christmas. Fuck. So this is like our two-year anniversary. I mean, Yeah. Yeah, because you don't count the original one as an anniversary. Well, I so. guess, yeah, what episode is this? This is episode 103. Oh, okay. So, well, yeah. be, so next episode would be our two-year anniversary, technically, if we're going by... Technically, yeah, yeah, technically. 52 times 2 is 104. Yeah, so... Yeah. Shit, dude. Next next episode. Damn. Chill for the next episode. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez. And my good buddy, Max Lyon. What's up? Watch Rob Cobbs and then record our thoughts and place them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners. Listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing tonight? I am chilling. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Christmas season, dude. <laughs> we are fully... In Christmas season, although sometimes it doesn't really feel that way, especially yeah. like yesterday when uh, at 1130 p.m. it was 63 degrees outside. Yeah. What the shit? I mean, <laughs> not complaining, not complaining, not complaining. But at the same time, a little but like, what it, the fuck? It, it, it throws you off. It throws you off as a human being. Climate change that? isn't real. Climate change is totally not real. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Can't be. Yeah. Can't be. Yeah, I mean, again, exactly. I'm not complaining at this point. Like, <laughs> not complaining about climate change. I mean, uh, yeah, when you put it that way, yeah, yeah, but still, <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. But um, you know what's odd is that when I announced when I went through our uh, intro that I always do every week, um, I realized there are two words in it. That are also in the film that we watched today, The Family Stone. And I was like, oh yeah. I didn't even think about that, but Bromancing the Stone is close to the Family Stone. When do you say anyway, family in our intro? I said there's two words. Yeah. That the and stone. Oh, we're counting the is I mean, I know the yes, is technically we're a word. The, the counts Jesus. as a as a word in the title of this film. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. It's yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. Anyway. We watched That's the Family Stone. Um this is for me, it's right ending. Now it's just the family stoned. <laughs> and for Luke it's Wilson, ending. it's the family stoned. <laughs> <laughs> it's ending the Christmas trilogy that I watch every Christmas uh, for rom holiday rom coms um, that I met that I think I mentioned at the very beginning 
of this podcast. What is it? Love um, Actually. Love Actually, The Holiday, and The Holiday, The Family yeah. Stone. Those are yeah. the three movies that I watch. And we reviewed Love Actually two years ago. We reviewed The Holiday last year. And this year, we're reviewing The Family Stone. It's third because we had to get to a point where we've done so many films that we could get away with doing a rom-com that it has a lot of drama as well. It, it definitely uh, does. But you, you know, know what? I mean, a lot of sure. rom... But there are a lot of laughs. and a lot There of are a lot of laughs, and I would argue that a lot of rom-coms do have drama anyway that are called still True. called rom-coms. Like, yeah. That kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. You get a little bit of mm-hmm. drama in there. It's part of love, man. One film that had way too much of it was Friends with Benefits. <sighs> yeah. Unpopular opinion, I know. So many fucking people seem to like Friends with Benefits. Think that but... that's better than No Strings Attached, and everyone who thinks that yeah, is wrong. Exactly. No Strings Attached <laughs> like, is better in every fucking <laughs> like, way. I don't care what anyone says about, oh, but it's got Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. I don't want to see Richard Jenkins have, like, deal with alzheimer's all right i don't want to see justin timberlake and mila kunis i don't want to see justin timberlake yeah (laughs) there we go like but if i want to see mila kunis i watch i watch forgetting sarah marshall you know exactly she's so much better than that anyway like exactly come on so come on but alas that is not the film we watched anyway family stone is the one we watched family stone they had plenty of actors and let's let's go into the stats of the film they and really talk do. about those actors. Let's so, do it. the Family Stone is a 2005 American comedy drama film written and directed by Thomas Bazooka. No shit. Uh, a B E Z U C H A. So maybe it's Bazooka. But no, I like yours better, Bazooka. I that's like Bazooka. fucking amazing. Right, dude. And, that's the best fucking like, name ever. Because it's not spelled exactly like Bazooka. But you can pronounce it like bazooka. That's and like that's, that's and I get that because lion. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because like, you got a Y instead of an I. But it yeah. Every honestly, uh, there have been a couple times recently where people pronounce it like there's like people are getting so much more politically correct that it's starting to take effect on my last name where they're like <laughs> pronouncing it actually correctly in French where it's Lyon. <laughs> and i'm like no you take that shit back it's lying god damn nope, it don't you nope. take this away from me nope let it go just let it flow baby it's lying uh, uh produced by michael london and distributed by 20th century fox uh it stars an ensemble cast including diane keaton craig t nelson dermot mulroney sarah jessica parker luke wilson claire danes rachel mcadams and Tyrone Giordano, who plays the deaf brother. Hey, Giordano. Um, I'll also, I'll also shout out Brian White, who plays his partner, Patrick, uh, and Elizabeth Reeser, who plays Susanna. Um, you mean, wait, his and, brother Patrick? Or his partner, Patrick? I thought his name was Ch- uh, like Thad or Chad or something. The bro- the child, the deaf person, the, the stone family member, his name is Thad. Oh. But, his partner. His name is Patrick. Is Patrick. Gotcha. Um, and then also one last shout out to, uh, I always forget his real name because I, uh, his real name was Paul Schneider, who plays Brad Stevenson, aka Mark Brandanowitz. Mark Brandanowitz, ladies and gentlemen. 
<laughs> a character that didn't quite work in pa- Parks and Rec, so they wrote him off. <laughs> but he was a city yeah. planner. He was a city planner, though. So, uh, so this film uh, was released on. <laughs> we are record. We are recording this on a th- on Thursday, December sixteenth. This yeah. film was released December sixteenth of two thousand five. Dude, how many fucking movies have we done this with? Like they had a weird connection date wise. Yeah, that we didn't plan on. None of these we I, planned on. I love yeah. taking credit for it, but holy God, like it's actually yeah. a legitimate significant amount now. Yeah. Like you just randomly text me at like four 30 today. Like, Hey, should we just record now or today? Cause you, we'll record either like it's been either Thursday nights or Sundays. Yeah. And sometimes, release Mondays. One, you know, it will, our man, you know, don't, don't pay attention to a lot of this yeah, past, sh- past episode. Yeah. Sh- but now, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. In this case, uh, it's the sixteenth anniversary of the when the film was released. Uh, wow. Running time is one hundred and four minutes. The budget of the film. How much do you think it cost? This is probably significant. I mean, I know like people like Rachel McAdams weren't top of their game yet well i don't know she was this was right around the time of wedding crashers wasn't it uh it or was, right before it it was technically after but at the same time um wedding wedding, crashers i mean this was deal. this wasn't like necessarily filmed but still you got craig t nelson you got yeah. i mean yeah you got diane keaton I'm going to say like 56 million. It was 18 million. What the fucking goddamn what? So if you think about it, it's all filmed in that house, which was actually mostly a soundstage. Okay. Yeah. But the actors alone for fuck's sake, how? Well, that's the thing. They filmed a lot of this in that house, which was on a soundstage in California. So none of them had to go to a location really to like to act so that's all actor salary uh, basically okay and then the on location shots were the ones that they filmed outside and so okay like so just that like little bit of filming is what like caused got it up to 18 million but if you think about how much they probably paid like you could pay diane keaton like three million you could pay craig t nelson or you could probably even like get them to take a, a lesser amount because you're just like this that. is an ensemble film so i need you to film seven scenes in California over a two week period, just read your script and rehearse it and then film it. That still seems, it seems sketchy. Something, something shady went on. (laughs) Well, Craig T. Nelson has run out of crime ring. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to say, Fuck it. I'm going to be off anyway, so I'll just go with the same fucking number again. 56 million. It made $92.9 million in the box office. All right. It was a success. That's box, a damn box good box success, office. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, the wow. plot follows the Christmas holiday misadventures of the Stone family in a small 
New England town where the eldest son, played by Mulroney, brings his uptight girlfriend, played by Parker, home with the intention of proposing to her with a cherished heirloom ring. Overwhelmed by the hostile reception, she begs her sister to join her for emotional support, triggering further complications. The family's... Yeah, and so that that's pretty much that for the stats. Before we even but, get in this disclaimer, just before I forget to tell you, um, this movie, like every one of these storylines, every one of these characters, there's a lot to fucking unpackage here. So I I want to go into that, and I don't. I wanted to okay. say that as a disclaimer out of the way. Like there's there's some shit to unpackage. <laughs> across the board with this movie oh max max has his talking jeans on today okay i mean i not in not in terms of like content do i have a lot to talk about i just have like a lot of subjects that i want to cover like every one of there's a lot of layers to this guy i know that's why i love this film because every time i watch it something new is revealed to me now it's well lesser then of course lesser. your your context, your perspective is one of the layers too. Like I wanna delve exactly. into that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is so lesser I mean, it's lesser and lesser. Like the one the one thing I noticed this time that I'd never noticed before is when Ben comes back high after he smokes weed with his dad. <laughs> um, and when he co- when he goes oh, over but to, he's yeah. <laughs> when he goes over to Meredith, he says to her so how can I help? How, how, how can I, how can I make you happy here? Yeah. And he says that like, hi to her. And it's just like, it's just, it's just a funny like line and a funny delivery of like, uh, he's so high that he can't like hold back his feelings. He gave his mom a huge hug because he yeah. knows his mom's dying. Yeah. And so, He's like, and now he's going over to this girl he's obviously into, even though she's, you know, connected to his older brother. And he's just like, God, yeah. How, See, more, how can I make you shit. happy? So, nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Tomatoes yeah. Has a, Get to the Rotten Tomatoes. Has 158 reviews. All right. What is the Rotten Tomatoes score? 65%. It is 53%. Motherfucker, I should have gone with 56. Uh, the audience score is 63% off of 250,000 plus ratings. Okay. Um, one thing uh, of the of people who have seen this film, like I've, I've talked to many people about this film over the years because I, I saw it when it came out in theaters. Mm. Um, but... One thing that, yeah, um, it was just one of those that immediately we were all like, yeah, we're in, we're going to go watch that. Um, but the, there's, I, I don't remember who said it or, you know, what, but there's like one person who mentioned about this film, like, who's the protagonist in this film? Dude, I don't know. <laughs> it's like. Because you can look at this film like the family is just like this uptight well, blue family in the Northeast. Who's the love story? And you like, kinda, I mean, 
No, but All like, of it. If you look like, at it the just whole like, thing is just constant question marks. Well, I mean, if you look at it just like in that kind of framework, it's like they just seem like this uppity liberal family from the Northeast. You can, you can find a way to not like them as people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. And so, so I get where like the 63% in the audience score comes from, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I personally yeah. like the family and I like the dynamics enough to where I don't buy into that, but I get where someone would come from on that. Um, Absolutely. But I can also understand that you go into it with the, the, the lens of a rom-com like I did. And it's, you take that family dynamic and those characters a little less face value seriously. And it's, it's more of like yeah. a, a, a cheesy rom-com trope, you know, rather than like a serious reflection of people or dynamics. You know what I mean? I gotcha. Um, so like I, I was able to excuse that part, but yeah, you're right. I, I can totally see where people would think that. Uh, the critics consensus is this family holiday dramedy features fine performances, but awkward shifts of tone. Awkward shifts of tone. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. The David Anson of Newsweek, who's considered a top critic, uh, gave it a negative review. Uh, he wrote, The Family Stone works hard to warm the cockles of our hearts. The cast is attractive. The sentiments are commendable. But the love Bazooka wants us to feel for the family couldn't possibly compete with the love they already feel for themselves. So... <laughs> Oh, that's, that's the an interesting point. <laughs> that's that's the the whole they feel like they seem self-serving, self-satisfied. Like that's that whole they seem like they <laughs> like the smell of their own farts. That's that argument that I, I mentioned earlier. Yeah. That he, he yeah. basically buys into it. Um okay, as I far can, as I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Um, uh, Ken Hankey of the Mountain Express in, out in Asheville, North Carolina, gave it a positive review, 3.5 out of 5, and wrote, One of those films that succeeds, not because it surprises you, but because it does what you want it to do, and it does it so very well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, and then let's see, I'll try to find one more. <laughs> I mean, one more positive. Uh, Sean P. Means of the Salt Lake Tribune back in 2005. Gave it a three out of four positive review. Okay. And he wrote, like most family holiday gatherings, it's awkward and a bit loud in places, but filled with good humor and packed with familiar faces who give you a warm, cozy feeling all over. 
Yeah. I so. mean, it was, yeah, it was like a more serious wedding date. <laughs> so, at this point, you mentioned, Max, that you had, there are there are a lot of subjects you wanted to cover. So, I think, because I've seen this film pretty much every year since it came out. So, well, yeah, I well, think I should seat the floor to you. You decide what we talk about first. Give your thoughts. And then I'll kind of provide my, like, expertise after. Okay. okay. And we start, and we kind of frame the conversation that way. Well. To start, at least. I want to talk about, okay, first and foremost, let's. I want to talk about all these different fucking characters. Like, at, like I feel like every single one of them is so um, stereotyped to a point that we can, like, single each one of them out as their own individual. And their own... Each one of them are given equal screen time, I feel like. Or at least, like, each storyline. Yeah, mini story I mean... Line is. And I feel like there's a lot to unpackage there. And so I was going to start by just saying, well, let's let's go from the beginning of this is a rom-com yeah. point of view. This is a rom-com podcast. So my question is, who the fuck is there the couple? There are multiple couples. Yes. Right? Like, well, what the fuck is happening? There's more. We end up with more couples than we ever could have started with. I feel like at the beginning, like the math there, just kept. It ends changing. up that we end up connecting three couples. We connect the the uh, the two single stones and the and one of the stones who's dating, who ends up moving on to a, a different person, but ends up connected to someone by the end as well. Yes. Wait, their last name is Stone? Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's why it's called the Family Stone, because there's two meanings to it. Not only the ring, but the fact that they are the Family Stone. They are the Family Stone. Got it. What the fuck? Okay. So yeah, we end up with so we end up with uh, Everett ends up with Julie. Meredith ends up with Ben. And then right. we get the the lovely right. little side plot of uh, Amy and Brad. Oh, yeah. Fucking Amy. Rachel McAdams oh, is let's just let's just go ahead. Let's just go ahead. Let's, let's just go. How ahead about we start right now. there? So. If people listen to the Fool's Russian podcast from the past, from the past summer, uh, you remember my profession of love, not only for Selma Hayek as a human being in real life, but also my profession of love specifically mm-hmm. for the character she played in that film. The fact that if the character, if I somehow mm-hmm. ended up being sucked into the universe that is that film and all of a sudden I lived there, <laughs> I would immediately find the biggest, fattest engagement ring I could possibly find 
and propose marriage to her and say, you don't know me, but I will make you the happiest mm-hmm. woman in the world. Mm-hmm. Please, 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 please marry me. So, <laughs> uh, I in, in, in cinema history, a close second is Amy, a.k.a. Rachel McAdams, in this film. I, <laughs> Dude, that's, that's how... Your Selma Hayek, that's my Rachel McAdams in this movie. Like, it used to be Wedding Crashers, Claire... I'll still never forget her smile from that fucking football scene is burned into my memory. But I gotta say, this one may take the cake. Absolutely stunning in almost every scene. Even when they put glasses on her, even when they try to make her seem like like she doesn't care about her appearance at all. Everything. It somehow even when she's an absolute when she dick. acts like an absolute prick to Meredith, it is still somehow so incredibly attractive. I yeah, I, it's like but it's like in all of the different levels. It's like I would totally be there. Like you like you were saying, I would totally be there in that fucking house yeah. and I would be down. For like, what where do I need to move to be with you? As like, long as like, I'm I, with her. Like, do you want to have a family? <laughs> like, I guess yes. now I'm the house husband. Like, I, I, I didn't even really want kids, <laughs> but you know, if you if you want them, then I guess that's what we're doing. You know. <laughs> yes. I will give up yeah. my career and be <laughs> the stay-at-home dad. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> No, 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 not that far, not that far, not yet, not yet. She's got to woo me a little bit more. Throwing heat in this film, my goodness! Like, oh my god, so much, so much. She's anyway. Okay, anyway. But continue on. Oh fuck! All right, I'm a little flustered. I don't know if it's the wine or three relationships in this film. Uh, okay, yeah. So there's three relate. Okay, but then, then we've we also got, the got established relationships. I mean, well, yeah, the established relationships in like Craig T. Nelson and Diane Keaton, and then you we know, also like Thad and Patrick. Honestly, that that relationship is its own dynamic. That is a that's a very real side of well, you know, kind of a real side, but a real side stereotyped of love mm-hmm. of relationships so and, and then who else did patrick. you say that and patrick who put up with their yeah. own version of shit especially at the dinner um yeah then there's the, see do you see how much there's a to unpack here then there's like this whole sub theme and of, then to a, homophobia and like overcoming those types of stereotypes you know and like family dynamics in terms of uh, in terms of sexuality of your kids like that's what year is this 2000 what 2005 yeah so right around wedding crashes too okay like i feel like that's 
well, pretty good for back then. So this is something else that I noticed with the film. Um, and like, I hadn't noticed with, like I hadn't noticed before. So like, this was something else that I noticed this time is that Ben and Meredith, their connection to each other is that they both understand feeling like the marginalized sibling. Cause, and this is something I never caught before until mm. this viewing of the film. Um, mm. So I always wondered why wow. did they even point out Everett's awards at the very beginning? You know, when uh, Meredith comes back down to the room and says, don't be mad. I'm like, Oh, look at these awards. Why wouldn't you have these out? And he's like, that was a long time. Ago. Oh yeah. And it's obvious that like Everett's whole deal is that for one reason or another, he felt like he just had to be the perfect child in order to make things happy. Like, and I know that feeling. Well, I don't know what kind of family dynamics has occurred to where he felt like that was the case, but it felt like that was a situation where he just, he was, but it's, it's a relatable yeah, so position he, nonetheless. He associated achievements in just like status as opposed to yeah, you know, finding that. what really yeah. moves him as a human being. And now he's stuck in this situation that he's stuck right. in where that's right. how he's trying. And that's what he's trying to dig himself out. Of. Um, the thing with. Which is a great, which is a great subtle message in itself. Like that's a great, there's a character that's worth unraveling yeah. exactly so, the way you did. Like that kind of, yeah. that kind of lesson. So now is with fantastic. Ben, Ben is being, is the second and the second boy. Um, I think, I don't know if Susanna is older than him and Susanna came before him or not, but regardless as the second boy, he's now being immediately compared to Everett and everything Everett's done and all the accomplishments that Everett has accomplished. And the way that right. Diane Keaton talks about him and like, she even throws the joke during the dinner, like, Oh, we gave up on Ben a long time ago. Like, and she's immediately like no smoking pot in here. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Immediately like dismissive. She plays it off as a joke and dismissive and everything else like that. But it, it was a matter of she just she realized oh it's he's still not it's Freudian as good like as it's like she and yeah yeah it's still and that's it's you still, know what yeah. unfortunately that's real in families that you know parents have different feelings for different kids they might not say oh I, you know I love them like I love my kids like I couldn't choose between my kids nah you could. Like you could parents don't be, don't fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Especially it, for the middle child. So, so there's, so there's that aspect that that's where Ben comes from. And so that's why he's kind of a, a free spirit where he's just kind of trying to find his place. He just feels out of sorts because nothing he does ever feels like it measures up to the idea of like, of whatever it did in the past or, you know, and so he's had that kind of chip on his shoulder. And that in turn is Meredith with her sister, Julie. Like she brings Julie over to be the emotional support. Yeah. But it's evident immediately that Julie just has this way about her 
mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Julie is liked by everyone and just kind of is so like, oh, everything works out for me. <laughs> like, and so, and Meredith has had to watch this forever. And now I would assume Julie is younger than Meredith. So it's one of those things where the older sister watches the younger, the younger sibling get everything. The older, and so this one of those like jealousy sort of things. And, and that's what, that's yeah. why the dinner scene is, that's what makes the dinner scene slightly more palatable when looking at it at Meredith's point of view. Don't we have several dinner Technically, scenes? Yes, but well, no, actually, no. I mean, we have a pizza scene and we have the dinner scene. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the, the dinner yeah. scene where well, she's talking the about The reason why yeah. is because initially, like, Julie just asked the question about color, and then it was like immediately, like, oh, I'm, you know, such and such. And then they make a joke about it, and oh, then right. it all kind of works out. And, like, they all kind of look at Julie, like, oh, well, you know, that was a fun discussion about racial politics, you know, and such and such. And so then immediately, Meredith's like jealous bone. And like everything else, she's like Julia's come in and within a half hour has had her knee taken care of, has had everyone wait on her hand and foot and has basically said something with put her foot in her mouth and immediately was like, oh, no, it's OK. And no one passed judgment on her. And so Meredith, yeah. in her mind, is like, I, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to overstep here. But what about... Not to mention Diane Keaton's character is like talking behind her back. Like she's perfect for. Yeah. And like immediately like trying to. Yeah. Immediately. Like within the first five minutes of meeting. Already gotten the approval of the matriarch that (laughs) Meredith has wanted the whole entire time. Like she just wants approval. That's, that's all Meredith has wanted. That's all Meredith needs. And she's not getting it from anyone. And so then she decides she's going to try to have an elevated conversation about the sexuality of the kid, but then mistakes having a, having an easy life as uh, a kid where you don't face any ridicule whatsoever as the goal of life. And cause at least, cause at least like, he's normal as what normal is. Normal is not having to face ridicule whatsoever. And yeah. so that's, yeah. and then that become, but that's a whole other discussion and that needs to be worded properly and is not and already in a heightened tense situation where people already don't like you. People are already waiting to jump down your throat. And so, yes. and so it blows up to yes. where it blows up to. But the whole idea is that Ben and Meredith have these sibling situations where they just don't measure up to their sibling. And it causes them to act the certain ways that they do. And so then they kind of find it themselves in each other. And Ben especially sees himself and Meredith and immediately wants to make her feel okay. And Meredith is fi- finally has someone who cares about making her feel okay. Instead of having her try to fix everyone else. Cause she's, Cause if she's the older sister to Julie, she's been taking care of Julie. And if she immediately tried to take care of 
Everett and like help him with his presentation when they met in Hong Kong or whatever the fuck, even though he didn't really need the help. That whole story. Oh my god, that fucking. And so story. now someone has decided. Someone has taken it Jesus upon themselves Christ. that they want to take care of her. And then it leads to the romance that they have. Yeah, it just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of shit. It's a lot of shit to unpack that the dynamics alone, like that's, that's the interesting part of this movie. I saw this. I I mean, aside from Rachel McAdams. I saw this film in theaters and have watched it every year for Christmas since. So I've seen this film. So I, that's another layer to it. That's another I, layer to unpackage here. I want to know more about the context I've seen, for you. And especially so like, so that's what? what I'm saying. I've seen this film now 16 times and that whole dynamic between siblings. Jesus Christ is something I just recently is the whole theory I just recently came up with tonight. <laughs> so it's very easy for people to just miss that. There's a lot of things where it's like this writer director, Thomas Bazooka, he wanted to like showcase certain things. He wanted things to mean something. He wanted things to be like symbols and to replace yes. into kind of like showcase, like showing the trophies you don't really think about the trophies at all. And you're just like, why do you show the trophies? There's a reason why, but what, but I don't get it. I don't get the why until like just now I came up with that. Right. He's like, Oh, okay. That makes a little more sense. See this, this is why this is, I think this is why movies like the wedding date intrigue us like, um, Dan in real life intrigues you <laughs> for the most part because <laughs> they have, they have these deeper dynamics that you can watch a couple times. And yes, they're very, they can be cliches or they can be stereotyped, but it's still like, it's a movie about zooming in and taking a microscopic or putting the family itself under the microscope mm-hmm. and zooming in on it. And so that's the dynamics you're focusing on. You're taking it out of the real world. You're taking it out of the bigger picture. Whereas like other rom-coms, it's very macroscopic. It's two people in New York City with the whole buzz of reality in the world around them, a very much an active part of their lives. And you get that all along the journey as they meet each other and fall in love. That's a completely different rom-com or a different, completely different storyline than something like this, where you zoom in on a dynamic and you, 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 to a point you immediately remove it from reality because now it's this, it's its own little pocket of reality. You've already isolated it. And so then you do tend to get these tropes of characters because you can make them a little more, you know, stereotype yeah i i guess for me and like for me i've never been interested in first dates i'm more interested in uh the date that you have with your significant other a year and a half in 
Well, I, I think that's just, that's also kind of how we've evolved as we've made this podcast over the years now that like, as the movies we watch, I remember back to, at least for me, especially like, I remember back to even before the podcast and my favorite rom-coms were the ones that focuses on, focused on these romantic gestures and adorable first dates and adorable fifth date yeah. and whatever. And then they live happily yeah. ever after supposedly. And as we've done all of this, like we've started focusing on the ones that show a much deeper dynamic, a more realistic backstory, a, a deeper character, that sort of thing that more accurately or at least relatably mm-hmm. mirrors reality and our own journeys in life. So I guess, I guess really it's just a matter of growing up because when you're younger and, you know, less jaded than, <laughs> than those big gestures yeah, mean a lot I mean, more because <laughs> when, when you're younger also you're not ha- encountering those experiences nearly as often but i mean but yeah, like exactly think about it yeah. now you're i i could download an app and go have a first date with someone and it'd probably go poorly i could right. go have a first date with someone but but you know what, even, but even for like these dynamics though, that are, we are shown in this movie it, as stereotyped as they may be, or as, as, as generalized as they may be, they're still dealing with some real world problems. Like even though it's zoomed in on, you know, a, a very entitled mm-hmm. family, like you still have race stuff brought up, sexuality stuff brought up, real family dynamic issues brought up. I mean, you're losing the matriarch of the family. This is the last Christmas you're going to have with her. Because yeah, her breast that, cancer has that reappeared. event alone creates all of these different ripples. Yeah, you have a fucking, you have a breast cancer thing. Like at that point in 2005, breast cancer wasn't, Breast cancer like, was, was wasn't as aware. I mean, as well, the it thing is, is, I think breast cancer has kind of fallen off, but like because, but it was breast cancer was kind of known as like the cancer, like there were pink ribbons and things like that. Mm. I mean, is that when the pink yeah, ribbons like, came out? Think about like the live strong bracelets and things like that, and then think of like like all the pink bracelets right, that would right. come out afterward. Yeah, I thought breast cancer was a little bit later. I thought it was late 2000s that we started, like, finally paying attention to it more. Because I remember the pink ribbons, too, but I thought it was later. So never mind. Yeah. But either way, like, the fact that they bring that up, that's a serious fucking issue. Like, she's going to die from fucking cancer. That's horrible. Even in 2021, cancer is unfortunately still a fucking awful fucking thing. I mean, uh, yeah. Completely. Um, so we kind of touched on two of those relationships, like or at least why Ben and Meredith kind of get together. I mean, well, we know why. Uh, we know Brad why Amy together. and yeah, what's his name? Brad. We know why get they get together because Brad um, popped her cherry and. 
Because Brad Popter Cherry and Rachel McAdams. Is close, <laughs> so, um, I mean, who? who Everett and Julie seems like the most. If if we're doing a if we're doing a what that's a weird we're doing one. a what happens that's after ever after that uh, that one I don't feel like it ends well. It's like well, especially like yeah. I think it also like I, I made the joke that obviously you know Dirt Mulroney and Claire Danes couldn't meet up with the rest of the cast for the last scene. So they do that weird trick where it shows them coming into the house and everyone leaves the room to go meet with them so that they can have the final scene between Rachel McAdams and Paul Schneider like while she puts up the ornament. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. God. the Okay. 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 One second. One more thing on Rachel McAdams. I will say in this movie, she actually like, I got to give her a little bit of kudos for her acting skills. Like, she actually is yeah. pretty decent at showing emotion yeah. through her fucking face without saying a fucking word. She goes through about three or four different emotions in that scene where she's just looking at him, looking at the ornament on the tree, and we're just zoomed in on her face. And she conveys all three or four of them very mm-hmm. well. Yeah, 100%. And so, nonetheless, you know, we we go back to uh, Everett and Julie. Like, Everett sees Julie for what she is, which is this... There's not really a flaw with her. She's just sort of brought in as this, this you know, totem of, you know, not necessarily like free spirit, but just you know, not shackled down by expectations. She's willing. She's, she's just Mm. willing to be and do what makes her happy unapologetically. And is there for her sister. Like that's kind of the vibe she gets, but you know, she's like an art grant writer. And so it's like, Oh, I, you know, I, but it's it's the unapologetic attitude that you touched on. That's what attracts Everett. Yeah, because like Everett, Everett sees you know just this this person who is just does not allow external expectations to weigh her down, and does not allow external expectations to 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 make her make choices or make decisions. Which deep down inside, that's what he wants. He wants yeah. to feel that way himself. He knows yeah. that's what makes him happy. And he, like going back to what you said about him, is feeling the pressure to yes. be perfect. He doesn't allow himself to yeah. feel that but, way anymore. And so finally she's reminding him that, like, yeah. oh, he can feel that way. Which then that's comes back to, to the idea of, but what is he providing for her? And well, not much because right off the bat, he's very, he's very <laughs> fuck boy. Like, I mean, yeah. Like, like, dude, you've you've chosen to stay with this this girl, this yeah. her sister, ironically too, and to the point that you've even asked your mom for a ring to propose to her tomorrow. Like, you have a plan in place. 
So you're okay. committed. You need, you need to be committed. If you're going to end it, end it. Make a decision. Confide in your family. Now's the I, time. Figure it out. I wasn't going to kill open the whole about him being a fuckboy route because like, this is a very confusing and unique situation that they finally was in this thing. I was going to go more the route of they just didn't write the character of Julie very well other than she represents this. They didn't make her as they they didn't make her as complete of a human I was as they did with the... other characters in this film. Then that's basically true. The true. So we don't see as much of the dynamic between them and the draw. From yeah, his or point like of what view. her bugaboos might be. Basically, her flaws. What she what makes her jealous. What make like what actions she's trying to take. Sort of thing. But but the whole the whole I don't know the whole fucking him like in standing in her doorway scene or the whole wedding ring shoving on her finger scene none of that that was that that shit was uncomfortable because it's just like dude what are you doing and his dad even says that after it's like creeps in over the shoulder <laughs> like. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, I I mean, I get it. When you're in a situation like that where he's probably pent up as fuck because, like, look at who the fuck he's dating. Jesus, Miss Broom stuck, her, uh, stuck up her ass. Well, that's the thing. Everyone knows that he that he's not himself with Meredith except yeah. him. And... And then he yeah. realizes it on this va- Christmas vacation, and that's why. Yeah, but he doesn't. He doesn't need to like go fucking head over heels for the other person too. He could. Just, well, that's like, why he says it, have like. A that's why he says after like you know at the doorway, can we get coffee? Well, he gets some coffee. He's like, and he says it's funny, and she says, "What's funny?" And he's like, "This, us," and she's like. She's my sister, though, like sort of thing. So, like, she's not necessarily denying it. She's just saying that there's there's something in the way. So it's just a matter yeah. of you know, I don't when when you when you have so when you're so focused on achieving a, a certain status because you think that's the way to live life, and all of a sudden love enters your life in one way or the other, regardless of how, you know, you expect it to come in or not. You're going to, you're going to chase that love regardless of situation. You're not going to know how to stop yourself from chasing that feeling, chasing the dragon. And that's basically what it comes down to. He's, he, he feels something, he feels something that he hasn't felt before ever. He feels something pure that is the like the purest True. form of like any sort of drug in in the in love with Julie, and he and he's like I I, I got to keep chasing this dragon. Let's go get some coffee or just or just get some coffee. I don't know. This is this is where one of the parents needs to step in and be like. This is where the dad needs to step in and be like, yo, this isn't about her. This is a reflection about you. 
Like what you're feeling, what she's making you None feel. The, she's not making you feel the that. The parents she's literally have only known her for way. three hours and then known the dynamic. Yeah, but they know her. They know their son. They know they, how he acts. They're not following they them. He's acting like so he's, much more. The dad's not literally right behind like, the door. Well, yeah, like Just true. saying, hey, I've been watching you walk through the town trying to find Meredith. And I've noticed that you've been Besides, getting really fucking the, close. The dad is off smoking so, with Ben. So, hey, knock it off. Like, there, there's no parent there. This is literally, this is just those two people being people. Well, yeah, but they can see when they are hanging out with him, with Everett. I'm saying they can see how he's acting. And he's like, ever since Julie showed up, he's been acting differently and better. And like, like that's why his dad creeps in on it on him at that one point because he's like noticing that like oh shit Everett's acting differently because of Julie he's acting happier. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> no, I don't know what you mean because like he okay. he notices that after he's put the ring on her fucking finger that morning. This is all after he puts the ring on her finger. Yeah. Like so noticing all that yeah. quote unquote like stuff doesn't stop the whole night he they had beforehand, which technically the parents don't know about. So yeah. Like you're you're saying the parents should step in and like stop him from doing what exactly? Cause by that because he breaks up with Meredith before he goes to the bus stop to then ask Julie not to leave. Okay, regardless of whether the parents step in or not, I was merely making the point that I thought what he was doing was just, I don't know, naive. Like, to think that, uh, you know, that suddenly because of who walked in, Julie, is is really the key to unlocking his happiness all of a sudden because he's suddenly feeling this way. He's suddenly feeling so much better and happier and like uh, around Julie, Julie is showing him what it can be like to just be, you know, to own herself, to be comfortable with herself instead of always trying to be perfect like he does. And so tightly wound, like he's used to dating. So he's being shown this new emotional side where he's happier and he assigns it to her and thinks, okay, I'm going to chase her and pursue her because she's making me feel better. And it's like, no, she's showing you that you need to fix something. Like there's something missing about this. Focus on the feeling. The feeling is what you want. And you can get that in other people too. It's not just Julie, like for fuck's sake, that was my point. It's like, even if you're even if you presented that situation, acknowledge that there's a separation and say, well, fuck, I'm unhappy. I need to end things. That's what it's really fucking showing, Everett. It's like, dude, you are not happy. You need to start changing shit. Don't just go chasing after the next person that shows up in your life that gives you some semblance of joy. Because that's she's going to keep doing that. The next muse that comes along in life, he's going to keep doing that. That's your happily ever after. What happens after? After that was my point. Okay. Or what happens after? I I see your point. 
on that. That was uh, that was partly the road I was going down, where I was just like, "There's uh, uh, basically there are questions that have to be answered about Everett um, in regards to that, and also questions that have to be answered about Julie and what Everett provides to Julie in that relationship." I but I was also going to say, right. you know, at the same time, I'm not necessarily ex- completely pessimistic about it because we still only know Everett through the film for three days. And we only know true. basically Very what's true. been shown, shown to us as far as like the trophies to what's been said in the film, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, we, you know, the, the you know what the easiest and best way to find out if if it's actually something is wrong in his life that needs to be fixed or if it's actually uh, this person provides this light in his life and then he should you know continue to try to be with that person is to spend more time with that person and find out what, whether it's one or the other just taking the person out of your life isn't going to necessarily solve anything like you gotta find, you gotta keep the person in your life to find out if this is, you know, something that needs to be dealt with solo or dealt with. There are that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm just saying, like, end shit first. Like, how about that? That was my big problem. Like, he never fucking like acknowledges that he's suddenly realizing that he's unhappy and that he doesn't actually want to be with uh Meredith. What's her fucking name? Meredith. And it's like he finally starts coming to that conclusion that the rest of his family have already picked up on. And that's what I wanted to see was I wanted to see him act on that first. Then yeah. he can do whatever the fuck we, he wants. Yeah, and that and that comes back to just your your also your views on on cheating as well and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, I get I get what you're saying. Timing's not great. That on Christmas Eve he is at the at that door, like not wanting the night to end, sort of thing. And but you know, on Christmas Day, by the end of like the morning. He has broken up with Meredith. So I get what you're saying. Timing's not great, but we're talking a matter of hours. Yeah. So, so shrug emoji. True. Nonetheless, yeah. that's a lot of talk about that particular relationship. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before um, we try to figure? Um, I mean, no, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot yeah, of ground. I, an interesting thought is what's the kiss of the film? Dude, I have no idea. Rachel McAdams. <laughs> the reflection yeah. of Rachel McAdams and Brad. Yeah. That we can't even really see. I. It's either, it's between that or I would say the kiss that, um, Kelly and uh, I, I did they call her Diane in the film? The mom, I don't know, but the Sybil that's right, Sybil. Uh, but the one that Kelly and Sybil share when she shows her cut off boob and then they kiss each other. Uh, that's a lot a good of emotion guess. in that one. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's some I mean there was a lot of emotion in that last kiss too. There's a lot of yeah. emotional kisses. And, and in this like movie. they're all shot well. Like the kisses themselves are not like necessarily technically great, but there's but they're shot in a unique manner. No. I I I'm willing yeah. to give the nod yeah. to yours because because they do the reflection in Diane Keaton, like in the Diane Keaton photo. And so it kind of connects them all yeah. and connects the whole movie and it's the very ending. And then there's also the piano that plays at the very end and it's all very nice and neat and makes sense. Um, and it, it definitely doesn't have the standard rom-com like the, it, the romance kiss, but. is slightly lacking, but the love is turned up. So yeah, that's true. That's yeah. very true. I would give it for the sake of rom com a B minus. For the sake of filmmaking, a B plus. That's a fair grade. Yeah. I would. I would give it. I mean, I yeah, I'd give it a B minus. Give it yeah. B minus. I mean, for what little mm-hmm. we can really see of it in the reflection, mm-hmm. realistically, I mean, the context and everything, the emotion shared in it, it's it's solid. Yeah. And it's a unique shot. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I'll go ahead and give my verdict for the film. I'm going to go ahead and marry the film. Um, sure. <laughs> I yeah. mean, after how many yeah. times have uh, you seen it now? seen it basically at least like 16 times, uh, and I'll see it a lot more in my life. Jesus. So. Yeah, I marry it. What about you? Uh, this is a fuck. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch, just for the dynamics. I mean, that's really what I had to talk about. So I think... I think the rom-com is definitely um, obviously kind of a backseat to the dynamics themselves. But like you said, it makes up for it in love in different kinds. Um, and the dynamics themselves are very interesting. Like it's, it's really, again, as cliche as they get sometimes, like it's, it, it's, interesting to watch these dynamics unfold and interact with one another and to try to relate to certain aspects here and there. And it's, it covers a lot of turf in what a hundred and what was it? 106 minutes, 109 minutes. Yeah. 104. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's every bit of that 104, but I, I think it also covers a decent ground in terms of people, characters, dynamics, everything. Um, it just isn't quite the uh, typical rom-com, I guess. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, Except I would marry instead of fuck, but yeah, I agree. Uh, and so uh, you can find our socials. The Instagram for the show is at Bromancing the Stone Podcast, all one word together. That's Bromancing the Stone Podcast. Find us on Twitter at Bro the Stone Pod. That's B-R-O-T-H-E-S-T-O-N-E-P-O-D. And then you can find me on Twitter at Supermarket Sweep without the E in super. So that's S-U-P-R Market Sweep. 
Uh, and then you can find my Instagram at Relusa88, and that's R-E-L-U-S-A-8-8. And then also I have a Spotify exclusive podcast with my sister, Rebecca, called We Watched Our MTV, where we listen or well, we basically uh, choose three songs from a month and year and what we call the MTV generation from when MTV started to when TRL basically ended. And it's a good time. So you should give it a listen. And then Max. On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted, which is T-H-E period L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. Yes, indeed. And then we have one week left in 2021. And it is Max's choice mm. to end December and end the year and to say sayonara to this god i I can't fucking believe it this is this is yeah this is i mean could have been i I don't want to say anything actually i I was gonna say it could have been (laughs) a lot of things but um it's a weird ass year anyway um i'm thinking okay so there was a movie last christmas that came out that i made note of and i thought about watching and I, i just wasn't really in the right mindset i don't think and i don't really care that much but now i kind of want to check it out um and it's on hulu or at least it was it's a, no it's got to be because i think it's a hulu original it's happiest season and it's got Kristen stewart dan levy aubrey plaza um yeah Clea Duvall I don't remember where we've seen her in but she looks so fucking familiar um maybe we haven't seen her in anything on the podcast but either way it's it's also the first movie I think that we've done, correct me if I'm wrong, to stray into a, uh, a, I was trying to figure out the right term, an actual like non-heteronormative relationship. As far as holiday film, yeah. Um, and I can't think, I guess I can't well, think of one where they're the main have we, one was either. Yeah, I don't think we've had a a rom-com at all that's dealt with actual, like, non-hetero all relationships. Right, well, should be a good time. So, I was like, let's give it a fucking shot. Right, Why not? Well, sounds good to me. So, for the tens and tens of listeners, we love y'all. We thank you. And we will catch you next week where we watch Happiest Season. Until then, have a good one. Love you guys.